I got a knock knock joke for you before we start. Okay. Knock knock. Who's there? Owl man. Owl man who? Out you doing, my man? <laughs> You've been hanging around Ethan way too long. I thought that was funny. Okay. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I genuinely thought that was funny. Because you know, out you doing, my man. Yeah, I gotcha. Ah. Emphasize that. Oh my god. I fear not the dark itself, but what may lurk within it. Welcome to Lurk, bringing you creepy, strange, and bone chilling stories with your hosts, Tim Harrison and Jamie Jackson. It's Jamie and Tim. So, Jamie. Yes. What are we talking about today? Today we're going to talk about Skinwalker Ranch. And aren't we breaking kind of new ground? Because it's going to be a two-parter. Pretty sure. Pretty sure there's enough. I think I have 27 pages of notes. Normally I have like eight. Really? Yes. That's a lot. Yes. Two-parter. Lots of information. Lots of crazy stuff going on. So, Skinwalker, is that like nickname for a human? It's a witch. A bad witch. Mm-hmm. So, they're good witches? Yeah. Well, Glinda, the good witch of the North. You've seen Wizard of Oz, I'm assuming. You've seen that movie. With yeah. The Munchkins. With the oh. Tin Man. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, thank God for that one, because if you hadn't seen that movie, <laughs> I was leaving. <laughs> I had to think for a second. It's like Glenda. Yeah, my mother would be so disappointed in you. Nickname should be Gale. <laughs> All right, so anyways, we're talking about Skinwalker. Yeah. But you're not talking about Skinwalkers in general. We're honing in on a certain area, am I correct? Yeah, we're just talking about a specific area in Utah where the Skinwalker Ranch is located, which has to do with Skinwalkers, but... It's kind of like a melting pot. It's got everything. It literally has... Everything. UFOs, aliens, cryptids, ghosts, everything. So, you're talking about a ranch located in Utah? Yes. We're at in Utah. It is in Ballard, Utah. Might be the zip code. Near there. It's near Fort Duchesne in Uinta County in Utah. Say that five times fast. You went to Utah. You went to Utah. You went to Utah. All right, so let's go ahead and jump on into it, Jamie. Tell me a little bit about the area. All right, so it's located in Ballard, Utah, near Fort Duchesne in Uinta County in northeast Utah, and it borders the Ute Indian Reservation. Don't even look at me. All right, so it's within the Uinta Basin, and the Uinta Basin is a geological remains of a prehistoric lake that was formed during the late tertiary period, which was 65 to 2.6 million years ago. It was a lake? Mm-hmm. It was a... Uh, it used to be a lake. Where'd the water go? I don't know. That seems to be the question. Really? No one knows where the water went? I don't know. I guess it dried up. It was like 65 million years ago. Or 2.6 million years ago. Well, the ocean is still here, Jamie. Yeah, but it's not. There used to be more ocean. What? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe somebody pulled the plug and went down the drain. I have no idea where it went. <laughs> It dried up. <laughs> Who the fudge is pulling a bath plug out of the lake? I don't know. Maybe the dinosaurs. Just in case anybody can hear the noise outside, somebody's like drilling outside in one of the offices or cleaning the floor with some sort of weird cleaner. I don't even know if it can pick it up, but just in case it can. <laughs> oh, and you doing can, a great job. And you can hear it while we're talking. I can't edit that out while we're talking. <laughs> so if you hear this little ee, that's somebody out there screwing something. It's screwing something. <laughs> uh, uh, they're just cleaning. <laughs> yep. Where does screwing come from? It sounds like a drill. What like drill? Screwing something what in the wall. What drill are you using? I don't know. If you got a drill that sounds like that, we, <laughs> we need to replace it. 
research life nature too much? The Uinta Basin, it was inhabited thousands of years ago based on prehistoric Indian sites by prehistoric Indians. Wait, what? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, wait, what? Did you write that? Yeah, I did. Basically, it, it was inha- inhabited thousands of years ago. And they determined that because they found prehistoric Indian sites in the area. I don't remember the name of the tribes. I didn't write them down. But, but they're related to the Anastasi Indians, which are in the Four Corners region, which is that region, basically. It's like Colorado, Utah, New Mexico. I don't remember the other one. But it's where, if you look on a map, there are four states with a perfect, they come together, and it's like perfect, like the edges of the states come together in four corners. You can tell. If you look at a map, you'll see it. And those are the states that's involved. Anyway, the Anastasi Indians were cave dwellers. They were prehistoric Indian tribes. So similar to the Anastasi Indians, which I'm fascinated with, which is why I know what they are. The area was originally part of the Utes Domain. In 1861, Abraham Lincoln created the Uinta Indian Reservation and then began relocation of many of the Utah and Colorado Indians. So they all got to be pushed to one spot? Yeah, they corralled them. And then the area that was the reservation was opened up to non-Native Americans. It was opened up to um, non-Indians for homesteading in 1905. So anybody could homestead there. That are non-Indians. Non-Indians. <laughs> yeah, even though it was a reservation there is was, the point. There was a pause there, by the way. I just uh, want to let you know. You're like, non-Indians. <laughs> I know. I pause more than you think. I sound like William Shatner. I like William Shatner. On the rec- I don't like it when I sound like him. Why? Because there's something out there. That's <laughs> what I sound like. <laughs> When I, in the recordings, I swear to God, I have to like delete huge pauses between words because I'm constantly taking these huge pauses because I'm thinking in my head and I stop talking. Uh, the basin is also full of fossils and there's a nearby dinosaur quarry that was first discovered in 1909 and it became known as the Dinosaur National Monument in 1915. It's where a lot of fossils and a lot of the museums in the United States came from. Okay just for a little history. And then before being moved to the reservation, the Utes were a fierce warlike people, and they lived mostly in Utah, Colorado, and New Mexico area. And the Utes and the Navajos, they coexisted, and they even fought together against common enemies until the Utes got horses, and they began abducting the Navajos and selling them as slaves. And then, yeah, screwed up. And this is important. I'm not just throwing out random Indian facts, so. Oh, no, it all leads up to what? Yeah, I just want the listener to know that I'm not just randomly telling you crap that you don't need to know. It's important. Eventually, the U.S. government, after the Civil War, came to the area, and the Utes aligned themselves with the United States government, and then they, along with the government, fought against the Navajo and that resulted in the Navajo being removed from their land and being marched to new reservations in New Mexico. True. Yeah. Eventually, the Navajo were allowed to return to their lands, but they apparently cursed the Utes. Even though that they were allowed to have their lands back, they pretty much were like, you guys suck, and we're cursing you. So they cursed them. They cursed them. Uh, the Utes have lived on the reservation that encompasses 4.5 million acres for about 150 years. That is a massive mm-hmm. amount of acres. And Skinwalker Ranch borders the reservation. So yeah, it's like it's, right up on the It's edge. right up against it, yeah. And then the Utes have long said that the property the ranch is on is on the path of the Skinwalker and have long been forbidden to go on the property, so... Yeah, they don't even... They walk around it. Yeah, they don't even like to go on the property. Now, some of them have been on the property... I think lately, at least one of them, because there are television shows, and we are going to discuss those shows later. We're doing this chronologically, because that's how I do things in my head. There are shows, there's been documentary. So some of them have been on the property, apparently. They were on the show. There was a Ute shaman. Oh, yeah, yeah, that is true. He was. Historically speaking, they said the land was cursed, it was in the path of the skinwalker, and they did not go on the property. So a skinwalker, to... To define that, it comes from the Navajo culture, and it is a harmful witch with the power to turn into, possess, or disguise themselves as, as animals. How does one become a skinwalker, Jamie? I'm, I, I'm getting there. I think it's like bullet number four on my page. Oh, the 30 that are on there? <laughs> yeah. Okay. 
Yes, my notes are bulleted. So a skinwalker can be male or female, but most of the time it's a male. It's rarely female. Okay. Sometimes they were respected healers who made a choice to become evil, and they walk freely amongst the tribe during the day, and then they become skinwalkers at night. To become a skinwalker, you have to undergo an initiation into a secret society that requires the killing of a close family member, and this is usually a brother or a sister. And once they commit the murder, they gain supernatural powers and the ability ability to shapeshift. That's not cool. Someone really killed their brother and sister become skinwalker. I guess. I guess it depends on whether you like your brother or sister or not. I'm one of seven. I I ain't going to lie. Sometimes I I won't fight a few of them. But other than that, no. Yeah, not my brother or sister. I have other people on a list, but my brother and sister aren't on it. Am I on the list? No. Not yet. What? (laughs) So when they shapeshift, they most often take the form of coyotes, wolves, foxes, cougars, dogs, and bears, but they can actually take the form of any animal, but it seems to be mostly dog-like predators for the most part, except for the cougar and the bear. They're not dog-like, but predators. Predators. Yeah. And then they wear the skins of the animal that they become, which is where the term skinwalker comes from. And sometimes they actually also wore the skulls or antlers, and that was supposed to bring more power. And the Navajo actually say that it's taboo to wear the skins of any predatory animal because of this. So it's okay to wear like deer skin, lamb skin, that sort of thing, but you're not allowed to wear skins of any animal of prey on your body because of this legend. You mean skins of animals that are predators? Yeah. Did I say prey? Anyway. That's just like an owl man. You kept telling me it wasn't one year, it was a hundred years, and I kept ignoring you, and I felt like a dumbass when I edited that, just saying. But yes, you're right. Predators. You can't wear you can't wear the skins of any predatory animals. Man. You know how many hunters would be screwed yeah. nowadays? Yeah. You can wear deer skin, lamb skin. Rabbit skin. So basically something that doesn't eat another animal. Exactly. Okay. Um, but it's taboo to wear anything else because the skinwalkers wore the skins of the animals they shapeshifted into um, and to bring them more power. So that's why they don't do it. They also claim that skinwalkers can take possession of human bodies if a person locks eyes on them and they can make a person do and say things they normally wouldn't do. So like mind control kind of deal? Kind of, yeah. Just by staring at them. Locking eyes. Like you and I just were. Yes. I am not a skinwalker. I'm just saying, though, we kind of have to so you can hear me talk. I'm going to put that out there. That's why I'm staring aimlessly into your face right now. Okay. Speaking of eyes, you can actually tell who a shapeshifter is by their eyes. The eyes look different. They look different than an animal's eyes They, when they're shapeshifted and they're an animal. So let's say they're in the form of a wolf. The wolf's eyes appear more human-like. And have a red eye shine. So like when you shine a flashlight in the woods at night and you pick up eye shine, it's a red eye shine. And then when they're in human form, their eyes look more animal-like. So it's like an indication by staring at their eyes. Yeah, that's supposedly a tip-off that they are shapeshifters. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm finding it super hard to keep my eyes open. I know. Tim's very tired. He has an infant at home. This is weird. I don't know why. Wake up! Um, It's hard to kill a skinwalker, which is kind of an important point for one of the stories I'm going to tell. They usually need need the help of a shaman or bullets that are dipped in white ash, and you have to shoot it in the neck or the head with the bullets. What is the white ash made out of? Ash. White, white, white ash. Like, is it burned from, like, a tree? Is it burned from, like, a, you know, skins of an animal? I thought it meant an ash tree, but I could be wrong. It could be... I didn't know there was an ash tree. Yeah. Ash. Ash, not... Not the other word that it's Ash. Like. Yeah. I don't know. That's just what it said. I took it to mean an ash tree, but it could just be white ash. It made my tongue tickle. Oh, my God. Uh, anyway. Ash tree. Mm-hmm. So, I guess I'm going to say this, bring this up now, but there was an anthropology professor that voiced his opinion that he didn't feel that the Navajo would use skinwalkers to curse, um, that they wouldn't use them for revenge. He said the Navajo believe that the skinwalkers are dangerous tricksters and they would if they knew somebody was a skinwalker they would kill them they they wouldn't be like hey buddy i got somebody i need you to take care of so in their culture skinwalkers are like the worst so they wouldn't 
ask them to do their bidding and and take out revenge on somebody by using a skinwalker. I don't know. I just, he did, that makes sense to me in their culture and it's an anthropologist, but I don't know. I'm just. I mean, it makes sense to me. Putting that in there. I I don't know. So Skinwalker Ranch is located pretty much in the center of the Uinta Basin. And that's also considered a UFO hotspot. In 1976, Father Escalante was one of the first whites that visited the area. And he recorded that while he was camped at El Rey, he saw a strange fireball come across the sky above his camp. So possibly one of the first documented UFO sightings in the area. Um, Since the 1950s, there's been thousands of UFO sightings. Some estimates say more than half the residents there have seen strange things in the sky. So they've seen something. Yeah, more than half, which that's a lot. It's not a huge population. In 1974, Frank Salisbury, who was a professor of plant science at the University of Utah, wrote a book on the history of UFOs in the basin called The Utah UFO Display. I did not read the book. It's probably out of print. Yeah, it probably is. But given all the, the latest phenomenon too, how people be buying stuff all the time, I bet you, you can't buy you can't buy that you can't buy that book if you want to. No, you. I mean, if there's any copies out there, it's probably snatched up pretty quick. But yeah, I'm probably gonna try to find it. There was also a local science teacher named Junior Hicks, and he's considered the local UFO historian. He claims the First UFO sighting was in 1951 of a cigar-shaped craft, and it was sitting on the ground in daylight, and it was actually seen by 30 students and a teacher from about 50 feet away. True. And because of his background in science and he was a teacher, he took it upon himself to interview the students, and after interviewing them, he actually felt they were all being truthful. He didn't think they were making it up. And there was a teacher who saw it as well. But I say, there's... but. I don't care how many, if you had like 20 little kids and they all, you pull them all separately and they all can kind of tell you the very similar story. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. I'm full of 50-50 on believing them more. But if you bring the teacher in on top of that, it's like. Yeah. And I think these were high school students. Oh. I would say middle or high school because he's a science teacher. And I think he took it upon himself to interview them because he was a teacher there. At, so I don't think it was young students. I think it was older students. So Okay. Yeah, they're definitely believable, then. Yeah, and he, he felt they were being truthful. So interviewing the students about this cigar-shaped craft, this actually started Junior Hicks' interest in UFOs, and he began to interview others who had sightings and encounters. He was all, always very careful not to share anyone's name without permission, so more and more people began to trust him, and that increased the number of people who contacted him about their experiences. So he was seen as extremely trustworthy, and that he wouldn't share anything, so they opened up to him more. So he, he didn't publish any of the kids' names that gave him, like, you know what I no, mean? No, well, it wasn't just the kids. At this point, he's interviewing even more people about other sightings. Okay. And because he was careful not to share anything without permission, strict per- permission, then more and more people started to come forward. I like um, it. He cataloged more than 400 cases, and this was after he eliminated lights in the sky reports, and he said he was too busy investigating actual close encounter reports to mess with any just run-of-the-mill light in the sky type of things. So that's 400 cases, close encounters, not even just weird things in the sky. Yeah, like these are like, you're, you're, you're fine, keep going. You're like having contact with something. Right, exactly. So his... Case files actually formed the core of Salisbury's 1974 book. Okay. Many of Junior Hicks' accounts include UFOs ranging in size from 20 to 30 feet to the size of a football field. Some are round, some oval, some cigar-shaped, and some are angular. How does someone not see something the size of a football field? You know, like you got one person that sees it, but like no one else ever saw it. But I, I think it's it's not a. It's a huge area, and it's not well populated. So it's very urban? Rural. Rural. Yeah. It, it's. I can't say that word. I mean, the ranch that we're talking about is, I've seen 480 acres, I've seen 510 acres, whatever. It's a lot of acreage. So the only people living on that ranch and, and that size ranch is the family that owns it. So, you know, a lot of people have large pieces of land ranch land so you don't have a huge population there okay not unusual for somebody to see something and nobody else to be around but 
given that fact, I mean, that's a lot of cases back in the 50s because it was even less populated back then, and you still had 400 cases of close encounters without even discussing lights in the sky or anything like that. You know what that reminds me of? Hmm. Um, blew off top real fast. You know the movie, like, I was like what is it called? Um, something Skies, where like people would film or videotape them or record themselves sleeping that think they're like being abducted and these crazy noises would come out? No, I've never seen that. <gasps> Jamie! But I have already said that Alien stuff scares the crap out of me, so that's not something I would see. You need to watch it. You need to watch it. Keep talking. I'm going to look it up. So there was a time in the 1960s and 70s, so we're skipping ahead. We were talking about, like, the 1950s. Now, in the 60s and 70s, the Utah Highway Patrol received so many UFO calls that troopers stopped filling out reports on the incidents because they couldn't keep up with them. Nah, (laughs) that's bad. Yeah, so that's a lot. Junior Hicks himself had a sighting in the mid-1970s. He watched an orange ball fly over the town of Roosevelt at a high rate of speed. Then it made an abrupt right-angle turn, hovered over the town before shooting off out of sight. So not a shooting star. They definitely don't stop, turn, and go off in another direction. In six cases he investigated, witnesses claimed to have not only seen the craft, but also its occupants. Oh, yep. One rancher said that a silver saucer landed on his property and that it had a row of windows and he was able to see five short human looking beings walking around inside appearing to be wearing white overalls. (laughs) (laughs) I come in peace. Maybe plow your field. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, another witness claimed to have watched aliens collecting samples of the local plant life. I believe that. Yeah. I believe that. There's also a type of mineral that's found in the area. I can't remember the name of it. But they said that perhaps that was also an interest that they had in the area was this mineral. But I, I didn't really believe that, so I didn't include it in my notes because I think it's BS. Bunk hooey. Bunk hooey? Yeah, I'm using old words. I like bunk hooey. Well, they're two separate words. Bunk or hooey. Put them together. Bunk hooey? Mm-hmm. Okay. That's a lurk word now. Okay. Bunk hooey? Bunk hooey. Um, there were two cases that Junior Hicks investigated where witnesses claimed to have been abducted. I'm surprised it's only two cases. But I imagine that back then, not many people would come forward with that information. Yeah, who wants to say that, hey, something happened to me, I don't know what happened. You know what I mean? Like, or I've been abducted by aliens. Well, we're right. So, anyway, he two of those cases were claiming to be alien abductions. In the 1970s, after a number of sightings, uh, in the 1970s, after a number of sightings, ranchers were even visited by strange individuals wearing a black suit and driving a brand new black Cadillac with tinted windows. Guess who that is? My cousin Earl. Yeah, that's it. Men in black men made in an black, appearance. Men in black. This is the second mm-hmm. time we heard them make an appearance yeah. when weird stuff starts flying around. Yep. Starting in the 1960s and continuing into the 70s, ranchers reported cattle mutilations. Uh, Junior Hicks knows of 12 to 15 cases, uh, and the perpetrators were never caught, which is not its typical of the mutilations. You don't ever see anybody do it. You don't ever see anything. Ugh. Yeah, Ugh. That's gross. We're going to talk about that. If that weren't enough, residents have also reported sighting Sasquatch. Bigfoot has also seen in the area. And the Utes say some of the sightings are Sasquatch, but they also claim some of them are skinwalkers. That look like Sasquatches. Apparently, yes. Or skinwalkers would be able to be an animal form and walk upright like a human. Oh, yeah. I'm thinking. So, anyway, that's what the Utes say. But, again, remember, skinwalkers are not Ute tradition. They're Navajo tradition. So... I don't know. I think that would be pretty scary if a human who was evil could shapeshift and shapeshifted into a Bigfoot. Like, because I think Bigfoot's a pretty decent guy. I mean, I don't know. I've never really met him, but I just, that would, that just terrifies me. I don't know. I don't know why. You know what the best comparison a Bigfoot is to me? What? Like a silverback gorilla. Well, yeah. Gigantopithecus, which was a gorilla that was tall. It was like a gorilla. It was a primate that was huge. It actually lived. It, it's, it's supposedly extinct, but that's what I think Bigfoot is. So then here's my next question for you then. Mm-hmm. If, doesn't a skinwalker have to be able to kill like the creature to be able to take its shape, though? 
No, I don't think so. I never, uh, I didn't read anything that said that. Okay, because I'm kind of curious. Like, you know, they do look like a Bigfoot. That means either A, they had to encounter a Bigfoot, right? So you have mm-hmm. to encounter a Bigfoot, or they had to kill one. So mm-hmm. I don't think the kill one's off the table. That means, I ain't going to lie to you, what are, they, what are they out there doing, having a, a you know, a little party out by the, by the lake or something? I don't know. I don't even know that it was a Bigfoot. It could be that they were a bear and they were walking upright. Could you imagine, a, like, a bear, like, Grizzly bears are massive. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying grizzly bears are in this area, but... No, I think they are. That's even terrifying. Like, even more terrifying. Mm-hmm. They're huge. They are huge. And mean. Not mean. I mean, like, protective. They're more aggressive than a black bear, which we have black bear here. We don't have grizzly bear. There's also a reservoir that just about borders the ranch property. And by ranch property, I mean Skinwalker Ranch. And it is said to have a strange creature swimming swimming in it. Um, and it's apparently, it's considered a large aquatic snake. Sightings of this serpent-like creature date back to when the reservoir was first filled back in 1970. And one witness was a tribal police officer. And he said, um, we used to see things crawling around in the water that looked like giant snakes. It would swim straight down from the marina and go all the way down to the bottom end. You could see it on moonlit nights. That's a police officer. That's, That's not wild. just wild. Yeah. Tribal police say there are a large number of drownings that have occurred and there are some that have unofficially blame been blamed on the mystery creature. Like actually reported and blamed on it? Yeah, unofficially I guess the it's it's not on the official report that yeah the giant sea serpent killed these pe- people but unofficially that's what's believed actually happened. So yeah, okay. Okay. Um one case in, in one case there was a woman swimming at night with a male companion and a witness on the beach said the woman began screaming that something in the water grabbed her and started pulling her under. Her male companion told the police that he dove under the water and fought with a huge snake in an effort to free her, but she was dead by the time he got her back to the surface. And witnesses on the beach actually supported his accounts of what happened. They actually corroborated his story from their viewpoint on the beach. What he described was exactly what they saw. Wow. They've also seen strange lights entering and leaving the waters of the reservoir. And one police officer saw a large light plunge into the middle of the reservoir and then quickly exit and fly away. In 2002, there was a group on the beach and they watched a white ball of light fly from the direction of Skinwalker Ranch, then dive into the waters of the reservoir just a few feet from shore, then emerge moments later and the object had changed shape while it was under the water. It had changed into a shimmering maneuverable belt. It was like a belt-shaped shaft of light. So this is near Skinwalker. It's not right up against the property, but it's pretty close. I just don't like the fact that there's a massive creature in the water. You got skinwalkers rolling around, possible Bigfoot. Now you got aliens floating over. I'm telling you, this place has everything. It has everything. And I want to go there. I yeah, there. I had a conversation about that very thing. Nah. Yeah, we'll talk about it at the. I, that's like yeah, because of how it's listed at the property. But we'll talk about that later. I don't want to get jump ahead. It has to do with how the property's listed now with the current owner, Brian and, and Brandon, and, and what we think is going to happen. And by we, I mean my posse, Angelina and Kelly, had a conversation about this. I'm not brought in on any of these conversations, am I? Well, I'm telling, bringing you up to speed now. So. Well, thank you. You're welcome. You're working on a six-cylinder engineer. Okay, I'm over here working on two. <laughs> yeah. So the greatest concentration of strange phenomena has always been around this 480-acre ranch that's now called Skinwalker Ranch. And rightfully so. Yeah, it wasn't, I don't think it was always called that, but that's what it's called now. The Utes have stories about the area of the ranch that go back 15 generations. So they talk about the property. Like I said, they said it's in the path of the skinwalker. Can I ask you a weird question? Sure. What's a generation? Like, Mm -hmm. what calculates out a generation? Is it like, so I have myself. You and I are in totally different generations. Well, right. But like. I know you got like Gen Z, Gen X, and all that stuff. Is that a, what they're talking about here? They're talking about like my mom, from me to my mom is one generation. From my mom to my grandmother is a second generation. My grandmother to my great grandmother is another generation. So each, like through your parents and grandparents, each one stepping down as a generation. All right. So just make sure I understand you mm-hmm. here. I'm always kind of curious about this stuff. I don't know much mm-hmm. about it. So my mom 
Mm-hmm. Is it one generation? It's one generation. Mm-hmm. My grandma is another generation. Mm-hmm. Then her mom, which is my great-grandma. Would be another generation. All right. So to Hayden, my son, I'm his. I'm, you're a generation. You're a generation. He's a generation okay. after you. All right. So to my mom, that's. Two generations. Two generations. Mm-hmm. Okay. Make sure I understood that. That's okay. I also do genealogy, so that's fine. I can explain this all day long. So here's a weird question I got to ask again. Okay. I'm sorry. Is, well, I guess I could say, is Bridget one generation, mm-hmm. easy another no, generation? No, he would be the same generation. The same generation Yes, yeah, siblings are in a same generation. Okay. They can, they can, this is where it's going to get a little confusing. They can be in, like you have, like I'm, I'm a Gen Xer. That's mm-hmm. my, my parents are baby boomers. Okay. You're a millennial. So, and then you have, you know, like there's Generation Y. I don't remember what Ethan is. He, I think he's Z. Z is a generation. I don't know. Whatever. He told me. I don't really care. It doesn't really matter to me. So anyway, Bridget is a millennial. Ethan is the next generation after that. But as far as family lines, they are the same generation. Okay. Because they're from the same set of parents. Now their children would be the next generation below. So Xavier is in a separate would be the next generation down. In this instance, you're talking about family tree timelines. Okay. So 15 generations, you're talking like umpteen different great-grandparents. All right. That's the reason why I asked that. I was like, because, yeah. you know, it's that if you're talking 15 generations, you're spanning. It's a lot. It's, yeah. it's, it's a lot of years. I just don't want to like, where like one person has 15 kids. Like, that's a generation. That's a generation. No. no. Nope. It's separate. It, it's each separate yeah, it's like they had parental kids. Unit. They had parents, kids. grandparents, yep. great grandparents, great great grandparents, great 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 yep. grandparents, so on and so forth. Yep. yep. All right. Perfect. Yep. Until you go back fifteen different, you count back. It wouldn't be like fifteen great greats, but yeah, I get what you It would be maybe twelve great off the top of my head. It's hard to calculate that, but like listen, your twelfth great. Listen, great. I'm gonna put this out there, okay? The sexy Alabama guy can get that down, okay? Yeah, I know. We well, will talk about him yes. later. Tim's got a crush on him. I, woo! Oh, I do. He ain't <laughs> got to say much more than that. So, anyway, we're getting into the nitty-gritty of Skinwalker now. All right. So we're 15 generations deep. Yep. And the stories of Skin, right. of the area of Skinwalker Ranch with the Utes. So um, a nice foundation has been built. Mm-hmm. So according to Wikipedia, the ownership of the ranch property is as follows. Okay. So I'm not... Claiming this is 100% accurate, but I do believe the current ranch manager is the one who updated this information. But I'm not going to go along with the validity. So from 1905 to 1916, the owner was Monk Chavanaugh. 1916 to 1945, it was Henry Lister. 1945 to 1961, it was Benton Locke. And 1961 to 1994, Kenneth and Edith Myers. And then 94 to 96 was Terry and Gwen Sherman. 96 to 2016 was Robert Bigelow, and 2016 to the present is Brandon Fugel. So that's the ownership of the ranch, which is a little bit important. I found a short little mention on the internet about the very first owner, Monk Chavanaugh. I'm not saying that this has any validity because I I can't find any information currently to back any of this up, but I'm going to tell you anyway because it makes for a great story. Okay. In a little over a century, the ranch has had seven owners. The first owner, Monk Chavanaugh, owned the property for less than 10 years. It said the many humanoids that roamed around the area scared him into selling. That's what it said, that that the humanoids it, roaming the property are the reason why he sold the property. I have no idea how true that is, where the information came from. But it took him 10 years? I, well, the Myers owned it from 61 to 94, and we're going to hear about the crap that they did they're the people who the shermans the shermans are the ones who brought this all to the forefront people are built different back then than now I, i'm yeah. gonna put that out there now because like so, nowadays i mean something goes bump in the night people either are screaming demon or they're up right now the house with stuff like you know what i mean like my story you know what i mean so the the fact that he stayed in there for 10 years whoo, and then mm-hmm. more families but sorry proceed. yeah so i don't know how i really have no idea how true that is Honestly, based on some of the information about this ranch, it would not surprise me at all to find out that it's actually factual. Sounds about right. So Kenneth and Edith Myers used to have large dogs around the farm for protection and told a worker that at night things come to the farm, to the ranch. It's just so weird they wait till nighttime 
You're most vulnerable at night. I know. So but I don't think they really waited till nighttime. That's just when it's more noticeable, as you'll see. I like it, Jamie. So the Myers sold the ranch to the Sherman family in 1996. And the Shermans... They were super excited to be able to start their own ranch. Uh, Terry Sherman was already known in several states for breezing prize, cemental, and Angus cattle. So he already had a reputation for having nice cows. He has a nice and cow. And bulls. Bulls and cows. He has Bovine. Nice. Ethan would correct me and tell me it's bovine. It's not just cows. Bovine? Bovine. Because it's male and female. Because he's an FFA and... He learned all about cows. Bovine. He learned all about bovine. He has some nice bovines. Yes. So when they found the 480-acre property, they considered it their dream property. It's gorgeous. They got it for a steal, too, didn't they? They did. Um, So the homestead had actually been vacant for seven years. The previous owners, the Myers... Did not, they abandoned it. They didn't live there. They visited a few times a year to check the fences and things, but they did not live on the property. They left it. What are they checking the fences for? Well, I imagine if you want to sell, and I don't know if they still had cattle on it or not, but I would imagine if you want to sell the property or if you want to keep people off your property, trespassing, they don't necessarily want squatters or anything. So I was going to make a comment, but I'm refraining. Cause we know Because we know how hard they are to get rid of. Mm-hmm. So that's why they're checking the fences. They're just maintaining, because it would be more expensive to totally rebuild a fence than to repair a fence, you know? That's true. And if they sell it as a ranch, they want everything intact. So, and they, when they sold it, they were willing to sell it at a very fair price. The ranch is bordered on the north by a 200-foot ridge, and I think it's bordered in the south by a river. When the Shermans entered the house, this is, they've, they've purchased the property. So the Shermans... They, they bought the house. For a super fair price. They, they bought bought the ranch. They bought the farm. They bought the ranch. They go there. They own it. They go in the house. And they find that every door has several large heavy-duty bolts on the inside and the outside. All the windows are, are bolted. And at each end of the farmhouse are large metal chains attached to huge steel rings that are embedded securely into the wall. And they believe that this is where they had large guard dogs chained to the house on both ends. So this is where I said the Myers owned it the longest period of time. And this is what they had in their home. So I don't, I mean, I'm concerned about safety, but, you know, come on. I'm just sorry. I mean, like, what, what? You buy a house, you don't, you, you, you buy property, you haven't looked at that. You buy property, you go in the house for the first time and you find this. You run. And it's, oh, gee, it's sold at a fair price. Already I'm, I'm going to, well, I mean, I'm weird, so, but I'm already going to be wondering what weird thing is happening here. I mean, how many houses have you ever been in, ever in your life, that they have locks on the cabinets, they got things on the outside? Because I've seen before where, you know, you go to a farm. And they have a set area for dogs. Like, hey, our dogs yeah. are here because, you know, the sheep dogs or whatnot, yeah. you know, or they, there are certain dogs that keep away foxes from hens and stuff. That's different. You don't have it mounted on your house. You don't chain large guard dogs. I mean, these were large, heavy chains. Like? Cha- to the house, on either end of the house. Yeah, no. Yeah. So they also, the previous owners also had strange clauses in the contract when they bought the house. Like one of them was no digging on the property without notifying the previous owner. The Shermans basically ignored it all and they chalked it up to elderly eccentric people, maybe who had little paranoia, paranoia. That is not the right word. Paranoia. <laughs> paranoia. We're making words up today. I make up words. We up. are here today. So um, that they were just kind of paranoid. Yeah. You know, older couple, whatever. I don't know. I mean, I'll be honest with you. It's already screaming some before you even got there. If someone's putting stuff like that in a clause, you know what I mean? Like, hey, there's a certain things you got to do before you are even allowed to do something on your property. Yeah, I think when they saw it, they just kind of were like, whatever, we're not doing that. Because I think that's how a lot of people are. It's just kind of quirky things. And that, I would see, that I could is easily explained, okay, that's just somebody being eccentric. They're, they're being a little ridiculous about it. You know, showing up at the house and seeing the bolts on everything and the chains, that's like, 
starting that that's out there but at that point you're gonna make excuses you're gonna explain it away because you've already purchased the property you can't turn around and sell it you're gonna lose your money you know you've already got this property what else are you gonna do well, they bought it for a fair price. I mean, they did, but they're not obviously. They're not going to be able to turn around and sell it because it, you know, it's already got a it's already got a reputation. I think at this point. Okay. Okay. Not long after they moved in, and this is like crazy ass story. Not long after they moved in, Terry Sherman, who's the husband, was outside with his wife, his dad, his daughter, and his son, and they were outside by this corral they had some calves they had just brought to the farm and they're they're corralled with um fencing that's like metal bar fencing Mm -hmm. and they were unloading a truck and they see this large wolf they you know the large dog wolf running towards them so they said it was definitely too large for a coyote it was gray and it kept stopping about it was stopping about 50 yards from where they were and they said it's about three times larger than a normal wolf. Okay. So, just set the scene here. You're chilling outside. You just got some cattle in. You're making sure everything's all going smooth. And out of nowhere, this mammoth of a creature mm-hmm. that looks like a wolf, but bigger, three times bigger, mm-hmm. is just cruising up to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And your first instinct is to do what? Well... It started walking towards the family, and they actually were not super concerned because it seemed like it was tame. They actually thought at first that it was possibly somebody's pet because there are people who have wolf-dog hybrids, and it, it was too tame in their way of thinking to be a wild animal. So the cattle were the, they were they were calves they they were about 70 feet away these were the first of Terry's cattle that he had brought to the ranch so this is the first group of of bovine that had been brought to to the ranch and there was one calf all the other calves were huddled together at the back of the corral as far away from this animal as they could get except for one calf that was kind of curious and it kind of had come up and it had its head sticking out between the metal bars looking seeing what was going on which you you already know there's going to be something that happens so it's staring at this this wolf thing so the wolf and i'm just saying wolf because that's how it's described i don't think it was a wolf but i don't know what it was but it wasn't a wolf so it went peacefully up to terry sherman's dad and Terry Sherman and his dad are both about six feet tall, and the this creature reached up to their chest on all fours. No, I don't. I did not take it that its head was the height of their chest. Walking up, it's three times bigger than a wolf. So walking up to them, its head was level to their chest. Yeah, the wolf's on all fours. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I was thinking stretched up, like yeah. jumping up on them. No, it's walking up on all four feet. Normal, like a dog, walking up, and its head's level with their chest, and they're six feet tall. So that would be what? About four feet? Five feet? Four, four five, feet. Four about five, yeah. Between four and five feet. Yep. And then it, its eyes were light blue. Terry's dad actually reached out and started petting the animal as it stood looking at the family. That's how tame it was. It was just kind of hanging out there, no issue at all with the animal. <laughs> so Gwen Sherman, Terry's wife, called her kids over. After she decided the animal must be somebody's pet, her son was suggesting, oh, we should keep it, you know, as a pet. You know, they're all standing around there. All of a sudden, one bound, the wolf springs over to the corral and grabs the calf's head in its jaws and is trying to drag the calf out of the pen. Just blink of an eye, all of a sudden. One minute, it's everybody's petting it. Oh, let's keep it. He's so nice. Look, look, how same and fluffy. You know, whatever. And then next second, he's over there, corral, got the calf in his mouth. That quick. Terry runs over to the wolf, starts kicking it in the in the ribs. His dad comes over with a baseball bat, begins beating the animal on the back. Terry tells his son to run and get his 357 Magnum. And they're kicking and beating this thing, and it's doing nothing. It's doing nothing. Like, it's not even bothering It's me. not it's, even letting it's go. It's fixated nope, on this cat. Not letting go. Terry continued to kick the animal, completely unfazed. Totally not even paying attention. So he... His son brings his gun. Terry takes aim with his gun, and he shoots the animal, and there's no yelp. It's not bleeding. Terry shoots a 
twice more in the upper abdomen with the third shot, it finally let go of the calf. So it's shot once, and we're not talking like from far away. He's right there. Point, he point. shoots it with the 357 Magnum, nothing. <laughs> shoots it again, nothing. Shoots it a third time, finally it's like, eh, I think I'll let go. Not bleeding, not yelping, nothing. Just nonchalantly lets the calf go. And for some people out there, if you don't know how big a 357 Magnum round is, I actually had a picture. Isn't that Dirty Harry's gun? It is Dirty Harry's Go gun. Go ahead, make my day. So a 357 Magnum is approximately an, uh, anywhere from almost an inch to an inch and a half. That's how big the, the round is. The bullet the is. The bullet itself. An inch to an inch and a half. Yeah, because 5.56, five, which goes into AR-15s, Armalite rifles to be exact, they're approximately anywhere from inch and a quarter to two inches long. So, mm-hmm. he's shooting this thing, shooting this thing at point-blank range. Yeah, they're right there. But something that's big enough to... Not even bleeding. Th- and it's not even phasing it. No yelp, yeah. no like, oh crap. Like, And Terry Sherman was uh, described as being an excellent marksman. Like, he's a rancher. So he's shooting. He's, he's hunted before. You know, I'm sure he's had to put cattle down before. I don't know if they do that. I don't know. Anyway, but... He's familiar with firearms and is an excellent shot. And this thing is like nonchalant about being hit three times with a 357 Magnum. The wolf ends up going about, he's about 10 feet away from Terry. He shows no signs of discomfort. And Terry raises his gun again and shoots the creature a fourth time near the heart. This time it backs away about 30 feet, but it's still facing the family and still not showing any signs not caring. Of pain. Just not caring. Nope. It's like, bro, my back itches. Come over here and shoot me yeah. again. So Terry, at this point, sends his son to get his .30-06 rifle, which should totally drop the animal. And he takes aim at the wolf. The wolf's about 40 feet away, which is nothing. You know, that's nothing distance-wise with a gun. No. They actually heard the sound of the bullet hitting the animal's flesh and bone near the shoulder. The wolf actually recoiled this time, but still stood calmly. And only backed off 10 more feet. This is slowly eased away. What did you yeah. shoot him with? 30 out 6. <laughs> and didn't even do nothing. Didn't, he recoiled a little, still walked behind just slightly. He was slightly. just like, ah, oh, man, mm-hmm. come on, bro. I, yep. I was having a good time. The cow looks scrumptious, you know? Oh, that bovine looks the scrumptious. The bovine, yeah, I know. Um, so they shot again. So this is 6. This is 4 times, I think, with the 357. Yeah. And two with the rifle. This time they saw it tear off a chunk of flesh. When it exited, there was an exit wound. They saw it tear off a chunk of flesh. This time the wolf slowly turned and began to trot away. Put it in perspective, that that animal shouldn't be alive. No, I mean, this gun like drops large elk and yeah. thing. it's used for large game. Yes. Um, not like a normal deer rifle. We're not talking small little deer rifle. It, it should have dropped yeah, and... It should have dropped him with the first shot. Well, the three fifty seven. The three fifty seven should have dropped him with yeah. the first shot. I mean, three fifty seven. Um, you're putting... It, I mean, honestly, I think I think they tell you if you go hunting for bears, if you carry one of them on your side just in case, because it's... Yeah, because bear are hard to yeah, kill. Yeah, it's a big round. Right, yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying, like... Yeah. So, Terry and his son decide to trail the animal, and they're able to track it easily... Uh, when it neared the river. They clearly saw its tracks in the muddy soil with no explanation. So they, they see it's it, it was a lot of mud there. And it actually said that the animal had to have been heavy because the prints that they saw actually had sunken deep um, and they were large and they were able to see them. And then with no explanation, the tracks just vanish. That's wild. Now, the family, didn't the family feel like abnormally calm? And like very relaxed when the when it walked up, they yeah. were like chilling, like this is somebody's pet. They weren't, which isn't normal. I don't care what anyone says if any like a, if a dog approaches you, you get a little apprehensive. You're like, ah. I don't. I'm like, oh, you puppy. Oh, you know, like, yeah, I'm, I'm like, I'm like, what do you want? Like, what do you, what is this? It depends on the do- it depends on the dog's demeanor. You can tell when a dog is friendly or if a dog is anxious. Like if you watch them you can tell from their body language whether you need to be apprehensive or whether you know it's it's just coming up to check things out if they don't come from my household i don't trust it i don't Uh, care see i don't have a i like dogs better than people so 
That you know, um, honestly, that's fair because dogs spell backwards. God, so you know. Yeah, I, you know, like I, I'm, I have fostered for a rescue and stuff like that. I so, couldn't do that. Um, I fall in love too hard and would never want to give it up. Yeah, but if you foster it, it doesn't get killed in a in a shelter. Here's a little public service announcement. You know, if you foster a dog. You don't have to pay for anything. The rescue finances everything. You're just providing the place for it to live and the love and, you know, maybe some training if it needs it, housebreaking, whatever. You supply the place for it to live until it finds its forever home. And if you've supplied that dog a place to live, it isn't dying in the shelter. That's fair. And then if it's not in the shelter, a new dog that is found now has a place in the shelter to get fed and hopefully find its home. Just saying. Throwing that out there. PSA. That makes me feel better because I'll snuggle on my dog. I sn- my wife worked late last night. Mm-hmm. So, as you... As, yeah, as that's I know, why he's I, tired. I was texting you and telling you. But I was snuggling my dogs. And But, anyways, back to the story. Anyway. I don't care anyone says a wolf. All right. A wolf, especially if you're a cattle farmer. You, that's your biggest rancher. enemy. Rancher. So farmer's not the pro- appropriate term. You're a cattle rancher. Them and coyotes are your biggest enemy. Like yeah. you, you don't Especially like a wolf. Yeah. I mean, especially one is this big. I mean, something that big could probably drop a larger, something larger than a calf. Well, and that's the thing, too. Like, I've seen, you know, from a great distance, I've seen some massive, my opinion, I guess you can call them uh, baby bears. But, like, bears from a distance, that small cub is massive. Like, they're scary mm-hmm. looking. This thing was, this dude's six foot, and its ears, or its head, is at its chest. Yeah. And that baby bear wasn't nowhere close to the, maybe I'm I'm yeah. short. Okay, I'm very short. Um, but it was up to my hip. And that made me scared, and I was far away. Mm-hmm. When I saw, when this dude's standing there, and it walked up to him, his family, Everybody it was just like, "What's up? I'm here. Yeah, how you doing? Nah. Yeah. Plus, nope. I mean, like wolves take down deer without a problem. You know, so that's a regular size wolf taking down deer. You've got something that's three times that size. It could take down a cow. I wonder how big, like, just how big a wolf three times the size might weigh. Because you know what I mean. Because you, when creatures get, when animals get bigger, you know what I mean. Like if you go. Next to a bull, okay, you get to a bull, you can feel just how big it is mm-hmm. by being near it. Like it's just like a thing about it. So I wonder what they were feeling when it was like. I don't know. No, they thought it was a pet. Let's keep it. I, well, we're not keeping Fluffy bigger than the house. Okay? <laughs> right. So a few weeks after this happened, and I, and I I want to say I don't have it in my notes, but I know that I have read and heard in other podcasts and things that the chunk of flesh that had been shot off the dog or the wolf actually when they looked at it looked like it had decayed super fast it didn't look like a fresh piece of meat it actually looked old and decayed that's foul Mm -hmm. that's another thing that should should like kind of like tip you off hello weird Yeah. yeah um a few weeks after this incident with this wolf gwen sherman who is the mom was driving back to the ranch after Anyway, she's driving back to the ranch. She There's a gate coming into the ranch. So she has to get out of the car, open the gate, drive through, close the gate. So she's closed the gate, and she's back in the car, and she notices movement while as she's, she hasn't started to drive yet. There's this huge wolf approaching, approaching her, and it's standing outside her window, and the head of the animal stood over the roof of the car. No! Yeah. She said it resembled the animal that had attacked the calf, couple weeks before she's kind of frustrated like who has these wolves you know running around so she the next day she contacts the police and they kind of looking at her puzzled you know when she's telling them that you know they need to rein in these wolves these pet wolves or whatever and they are they have no idea what she's talking about and you know wolves had not been seen in utah since the last one was shot in 1929 okay so this is 19 1994 um these events happened a full year before gray wolves were being transplanted into yellowstone wolves aren't released back in the wild into yellowstone until 1995 so this is a full year before that's even happened and just to kind of give you like a quick picture the world record for the largest wolf ever killed is 175 pounds yeah this was bigger than that yeah, and that, wow. 
Yeah. And then it was 2004 before wolves were starting to be spotted in Vernal, Utah, which I think is not too far away from here. So 2004 before they even saw any wolves starting to be seen in the area. So like this, wild wolves. And when was the, the Sherman? 94. Yeah. So. Yeah. So it's not like there were, I mean, there's two sightings of these giant animals and there haven't been any sightings. The last wolf was shot in Utah in 1929. And then they weren't released into the wild, into Yellowstone, until 95, the year later. So it's not like there is a pack of wolves running around. No. And especially as massive as they are. Right, right. They saw the wolves off and on in the distance for a few weeks on the ranch, and then all of a sudden they just stopped showing up. So for a few weeks after this second sighting, they would see them in the distance, but then they they just stopped showing up. (laughs) That'll make me nervous. Yeah, so Gwen Sherman was apparently shown kind of like a photo lineup of wolves to identify her attacker, whatever, you know, like a lineup. And she picked out a photo of a dire wolf, and she said that was the animal that she saw. Dire wolves died out in the last ice age, along with saber-toothed tigers and woolly mammoths. I'm Googling what a dire wolf um, looks like. Dire, it's huge. It looks like a wolf. But I just read something. Dire wolves, actually, they came up with the genetic makeup, they are actually not related to wolves. They're not in that same, they are their own thing. I think they are more closely related to a fox, but they were massive. Everything was massive back then. Not that I lived back then, I'm not that old. I wasn't going to say nothing. But I've seen fossils. That's scary because it's literally saying a dire wolf, like it gave up perfect representation mm-hmm. like that one's up to his chest and it's three and a half four feet tall but it's eight feet long from noses yeah from uh, beginning of snout to tail yeah that's huge that's huge it's huge 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 it's a huge deal mm-hmm. so apparently they forgot about the strangeness kind of settled into the ranch routine things had you know the wolves they weren't seeing them they just stopped showing up gwen enjoyed kind of going outside at night or like at dusk and looking at the stars there's no light pollution here so you can probably see the milky way super clear relaxing after a long Mm -hmm. day come on how many times y'all ever like just before we all become hermits staying inside all day but like how many times you ever walked out like i have a deck i walked out on my deck many times in the morning just to drink coffee and just breathe fresh air i like to be outside before you know all, all heck breaks loose on my day yeah so one night she's out walking and something large flew by her, missing her by a few feet, but it created a significant amount of air turbulence so she could feel the air move as it went by her. She actually ducked. Oh, so it made her flinch. Yeah. Five minutes later, it happened again, and it was pointed out there was still enough light. that It was just around sunset or just after sunset. There was still enough light to be able to see. You know, it's not super bright, but there's still light and she didn't see anything but something large flew by her enough for her to flinch and feel the air but she didn't see anything not once but twice twice it flew by her and then came back by again Woo! Mm-hmm. around this time gwen is starting to notice that items are going missing uh when when she's cooking she'll set down a utensil it disappears it later turns up in unexpected places same time One night, Terry comes in the house, and he's ticked because he was using this 70-pound post hole digger. He had set it aside, and he turned around, and it's gone. So he's irritated. He's thinking somebody's messing with him. You know, somebody that lives there. Yeah, a human is messing with him. Yes, yep. So everybody gets up. They go outside to help him look. They don't find it. So two nights later, he comes in the house demanding to know who took his pliers. He had set them on the fence post. He was fixing a fence. He sent them on the fence post, turned to grab them. They were gone. So the other things that would go on, the salt and pepper would be switched in their containers. Like instead of the, I know some people have identical looking salt and pepper shakers, so you wouldn't know, but I had one that had like an S for salt and a P for pepper. So I'm assuming there are two distinct different salt, you know, shakers for each one. They would go to use it, and they would be switched. Like the salt would be in the pepper, and the pepper would be in the salt. Completely. And it got to the point, and they would fix it, and it got to the point that before anybody would use the salt and pepper shakers, they would actually shake it in their hand first to check to see what which one it was. Sounds fair to me. And one day, Gwen, what had she had gone to the grocery store. She'd gone out, went grocery shopping, came home, 
put the groceries away. She left the room for about 30 to 40 minutes, walked back in the kitchen to find all the groceries she had put away were now back on the kitchen table. Nobody else was home at the time when this happened. So we've got poltergeist activity going on. Not cool. Mm-hmm. I explain why they lock the locks on everything. Yeah. You know, Terry's missing his pliers, the post hole digger. She finally tells him, hey, this is what's going on in the house. Now, he knew about the salt and pepper, you know, yeah. obviously. This is what's been going on with the items in the house. I do want to say Terry did eventually find the post hole digger. This is a 70-pound post hole digger, not like your normal handheld one that, you know, has got the wood handles. They're not 70 pounds. No. I can use one. It's not 70 pounds. This is like a heavy, kind of like, what do they call it, an auger? It's an auger, yep. He found it up a tree 20 feet off the ground. It weighs 70 pounds. That's hard for someone my size to do that. I can't imagine somebody could do that by themselves. Do it and not make a noise. Okay, so first of all, who's at the ranch that could do this? There's four people that live at the ranch. Two kids, and I think they're kind of teenager. At least the son is a teenager age. Doesn't have a whole lot of information about the kids. So let's assume preteen, teens, whatever, older kids, the wife, and Terry. That's it, four people. Those kids aren't taking a 70-pound post hole digger up a tree. I mean, I guess the son could do it with friends, but there was nobody. They, they weren't there. That wasn't an option. Like, the people who were there at the ranch at the time it disappeared were, were the four members of the family. Yeah, but also, wasn't this found hundreds of yards away? It wasn't. I don't think it was right where he left it, but yeah. it was found up a tree. Yeah, like, you know, mm-hmm. you, you, you're using it. You put it down for a second. You come back. You would notice if a group of kids took it because you would probably hear them snickering and laughing. Mm-hmm. Or you would notice your son you know, home and probably doing something he probably right. shouldn't be. So, right. right. Anyways. Um, yeah. So um, then Terry's son was given the task of moving a pile of heavy metal poles that they use for fencing. He was able to move them with the help of some of his friends. It took about three to four hours to get the pile moved. And we're talking, we're not talking light. We're talking heavy. These are heavy poles. Yeah. Not, he has to have people help him. Right. We're not talking like you're like, like, you know, like your PVC pipe kind of pole. No, it's not. Metal, it's a you know heavy I mean? metal pole. Yeah. Long. So, anyway, it took three to four hours to move the pile. The boys went off to the house, and eventually Terry came by to see their work, to see if they had actually gotten it done. He found all the poles back in their original spot, only off by a few inches from where they had been piled originally. Yeah, nah. <laughs> and we're talking, you know, a couple hundred pounds worth of metal poles. That's why it took them three to four hours to move them. Yeah, nope. And then another time, Terry's son was stacking about a ton of of cordwood, and he got the entire cord moved and stacked, and when he came back outside, the cord of wood had been moved 100 yards from where he had stacked it. (laughs) No. Yeah. No. Run! Mm -hmm. Yep. No, that's not cool at all. Mm -hmm. Nope. So, Jamie... This is where we get to do something we never done before. I know. We end in the middle of talking about all our stuff. We get to end part one to leave Woo-hoo. people on a cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. And then we'll start part two. Next week. Next week. But the new things come to the ranch. Yes. New things come to the ranch. Also, they're currently Secret of Skinwalker Ranch is airing on Tuesday what is it, History Channel, isn't it? Tuesday at 10. So... I don't watch it on Tuesday usually. I watch it on, you know, one of the streaming things or on demand. Yes, streamer. I know. So, well, I watch it with Ethan. I watch it with my son. Easy. Apparently my dad watches it. My brother watches it. My mom watched it. Everybody's watching Skinwalker. So, anyway, there will be another episode and I take notes during the episode like a nerd. She does. So, I actually can share, you know, in that portion of what they're doing and what's going on because the strangeness continues so we will get into all of that the really crazy stuff hasn't even been touched upon yet in our podcast for what goes on here most definitely and also dr travis taylor is one dr travis taylor is hot he is a hot young man um anyways so with that being said jamie it was a pleasure today. Oh, yes. And I'm excited to do part two because yeah. we never did a part one. <laughs> now we're going to do a part two. But go ahead. Tell everyone where they can find us. 
Um, you can find us on most major podcast apps, and you can always find us at lurkpodcast.com, and that's where we have all of our episodes. You can find links to any resources in our show notes, also links to our social media pages. We have Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and I suggest you like or follow any one of those because I post photos from episodes on each one of those and any important updates or information. And you can email us at lurkpodcast at yahoo.com. We're always looking for suggestions for episodes. Creepy and scary. If you have a personal creepy story, please share it. We're hoping to collect some of those so we can have some listener stories, not just stuff from our own personal experiences. And in July... We have, is it Spook Fest, I think? Spook Fest. In Waynesboro, Pennsylvania. We, it's the, I think it's the 24th and 25th. PA. Um, we actually will have a table set up there. So we coming. You can come say hi. We coming. You can buy a shirt. We coming, because we got merch. merch. We have merch. Merch, merch, merch. And merch. you can find the link to the merch on our Facebook page or in the show notes. Outstanding. Well, Jamie, it was a great episode. Great part one. Yes. So, everyone, have a great rest of your day. And this is filmed before Mother's Day. So, hope everyone has a great Mother's Day. Or had one. Or had one. Yeah, it would yeah. be had. I'm not good at English. Anyways, have a great rest of your day. Keep lurking. <laughs>